0: Welcome to Oak Ridge Bible Chapel. My name is Andrew, I'm one of the pastors here at Oak Ridge, and we are so excited to have you join us today. So grab your Bible and then your iPad, a notebook, pens, pencils, whatever it is that will help you get the most out of today's sermon, and please enjoy our Sunday message. As we come to Matthew chapter 16 today, we're reminded of life's questions, and there are many good, weighty, significant questions in life like why am I here and now that I'm here what should I do with my life what is truth or maybe on a more practical level will you marry me it's a pretty significant question to ask right or is this food poisonous you know all these are all very significant weighty questions with ramifications beyond just asking and answering that question And yet of all the questions that we can and should, we can and should ask ourselves and seek to answer, there is one question that eclipses all others in import. It's a question that we've been talking about, singing about, hearing about today, and it is the simple question of who is Jesus Christ? It is the most significant, the most important question ever ask and how one answers this question and make no mistake all do answer this question whether knowingly or unknowingly everyone answers this question but how one answers this question is eternity defining and reality shaping who is Jesus Christ and it's not a new question Just as we are tackling it in the 21st century, in the 1st century they were wrestling with it as well. And as we come to Matthew chapter 16, that's what we see. In this text, these disciples of Jesus are being met with that very question. Who is Jesus Christ? And we're going to see them wrestling with that same question. And then it's going to be thrown in our face again today as well. Who is Jesus Christ? Some of us have asked ourselves that question many times in the past. Others have not. Either way, we're going to be reminded of its import today. Let me read for us the passage in its entirety. It's not long, but in Matthew chapter 16, starting in verse 13. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he was asking his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, and others, Elijah, but still others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. I also say to you that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall have been bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall have been loosed in heaven. Then he warned the disciples that they should tell no one that he was the Christ. So we see this most important question ever asked framed in this text here. And and Jesus opens this text by asking it quite broadly, doesn't he? Who do people say that the Son of Man is? And we know at this point in our study through Matthew's gospel that the Son of Man is one of Jesus' favorite titles for himself. Who are people saying about me? Where have people, generally speaking, landed on the whole is he or is he not the Messiah thing? You know, what's public opinion when it comes to me? In other words, he's asking, what do the people say? And the disciples respond in verse 14 with kind of a varied approach. They say, well, it's pretty, you know, the jury's still out, really. Some say John the Baptist, others Elijah, but still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And while we know that they're all wrong, right, there is a sense in which they all recognize there's something supernatural going on with Jesus. Did you notice that? I mean, if it's John, if it's Elijah, if it's one of the prophets, whatever the case may be, that person has come back from the dead. So right away, these people are recognizing there's something special about this Jesus guy. When he speaks, it's not just the words of men. There's something unique about him, they don't know fully what it is, but there's something supernatural. But they're still wrong. All of them are still wrong. The people have failed to connect the dots properly and instead they've rejected Jesus' true identity, the identity he's been trying to bring and, and show off to this generation of Israel. And rejecting his person, that leads to judgment, as it always does. We see that in the last verse of the text I just read, verse 20. Then he, Jesus, warned the disciples that they should tell no one that he was the Christ. Just as responding in faith to God's revelation brings more revelation, so rejecting God's revelation leads to the removal of revelation. We saw that in the parable of the soils in Matthew 13. If you respond to the revelation of God, the seed scattered with understanding and faith, then 30, 60, 100 more revelation is yours. But if you harden yourself to it, it will be taken away. And we don't know if these people, they heard the revelation, the seed scattered and birds came to get it, weeds grew up. We don't know. All we know is they are hardening their hearts to the reality of who Jesus is. Instead, they're settling for prophets, Elijah, whatever the case may be. So who is Jesus Christ? It's the most important question ever asked. And we see here, what do the people say? Well, they say that he seems to be special. But that's about as far as they go. There's something unique about him, but we're not going to go all the way to Messiahship. And we recognize that nothing has changed in 2,000 years. There are many people with many different opinions about who this Jesus is. In fact, in a recent survey in 2020, one research firm, they asked participants to respond to this statement. Jesus was a great teacher, but he was not God. Respond. Over 50% of respondents said, yes, I agree with that. There's all sorts of ideas about who this Jesus is. And whether someone claims that Jesus was a great teacher, or a radical zealot, or a pretty nice guy, or a collective figment of everyone's imagination. Whatever the case may be, wherever someone lands on the identity of Jesus, the net response is still the same. It's rejection. It's rejection. No matter where you land, if it's not the true story, if it's not really what it is, then it's rejection. Just like if you didn't fully know my name, like it's something, Isaiah, maybe uh, Jedidiah, something, and you can circling it closer and closer to my name. You either know my name, or you not, or you don't. You either have it right or you do not. And though there are varying degrees of wrong, but it's still wrong. And in a world that we live in, so desperate to label Jesus as anything but what he claims to be, there's a hardness that progressively shuts itself off from the light of revelation. Like muscular atrophy. You don't walk for several months. You'll find when you stand up to walk for the first time, they don't really work the way they used to work you don't use those muscles they waste away and in a crude way you could say if you don't use the muscle of belief it withers away and you're unable to believe when confronted with the need for it that's what we find the people here and so Jesus here he asks his disciples who did what do the people say about me and as we saw the news was not good but, but Jesus quickly in this text pivots and aims the question now at his disciples. And you get the impression that's where he wanted to go the whole time anyway, right? He wanted to put this question before his disciples. And we find it in verse 15. But who do you, who do you say that I am? We see next what Peter says. We've seen what the people say. And now we see what Peter says in verse 16. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. You just feel the contrast between the people and Peter. Some say John the Baptist, others Elijah, but others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. There's uncertainty versus certainty, ignorance versus conviction. See, at this point, Peter knows that Jesus isn't just a teacher. He knows he's not just a zealot or some spiritual man. No, no, no. He's the Christ. If you don't know that Christ in Greek is just Messiah, it's the translation, it's the same word. And so he knows that this is the long-awaited, much-needed Messiah. He's not just one of the prophets, he's the one the prophets have been talking about. The one that they've been anticipating, the one that they've been aching to see. And while you read through the Old Testament, Genesis to Malachi, while the Old Testament makes it very clear as you read that this Messiah, when he comes, he'll be more than just a man. We're not really sure of all the details, but he's clearly more than just a man. Peter removes all uncertainty. He says, you are the son of the living God. He says, you're unique, you're other, you're, you're deity, you are God. And that's how Peter answers the most important question ever asked. And really, the rest of this passage is just celebrating that fact. We see the people answering, eh, wrong. And Peter comes along and hits a home run. And the rest of the passage just... Jesus celebrating what a true statement it was. Now if you know this text at all and we read it just earlier you'll know that we are going into a theological minefield in these next few verses, right? This this is a section of scripture where the church has split over the centuries. I'm going to disappoint you if you think I'm going to wade into the wa- those waters right now. now I'm not going to do that because I don't think it's the main point of the text. Okay? We're going to go over this. This is a celebration of Peter's answer. And if you have issues with this text of, of papal authority and charismatic gifts and all those kinds of things, you can come and find me later and we can hash those out. So we're not gonna, that's the disclaimer. We're not going to get into all of that stuff. I want us to feel the applause, really, that Jesus is giving Peter. Not, not Peter himself, but the answer that Peter gave. First, we see in verse 17 that Peter's answer was a blessed answer. Right off the bat, blessed are you, Simon Barjona. Blessed are you. He was a fortunate recipient of God's special favor. He was blessed. That answer just means that you are blessed, Peter. I mean, can you imagine what it's like to look in the eyes of the Son of God, the Word incarnate, and and see him looking back at you and saying, blessed are you. I mean, that must have warmed Peter right to his core. Blessed are you, Simon. It's a blessed answer. We ask, well, why is it such a blessed answer? Well, because, we keep reading, because it was a revealed answer. And Jesus said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. See, Peter's dad, his name was Jonah. That's what Bar-Jonah means, son of Jonah or son of John. And old Jonah probably taught Peter a lot of things growing up. Taught him to handle money, taught him to be nice to people, taught him to fish maybe. But one thing old Jonah did not teach Peter was that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God. That did not come from Jonah. That's why Jesus emphasizes his fleshliness. That, that father did not teach you these things. No, this answer to the most important question ever asked came from Jesus' Heavenly Father, not Peter's earthly one. It came from Jehovah, not Jonah. This was revealed to Peter. And that's the same for us today. This, that Jesus is Messiah and God is a spiritual reality communicated by a gracious Heavenly Father. This isn't truth that anyone comes to via the scientific method or logical inferences, or pietistic living. We don't scrape our way to an understanding of who Jesus really is. No, no, no. It's a gracious provision of a God who wants to be known by his creatures. He has revealed himself. We serve a God who wants to be known. It's a gracious provision. This is a revealed answer that Peter has just articulated. As we keep reading, we see Peter's is also a foundational answer. Verse 18, Jesus says, I also say to you that you are Peter, And upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. There's a bit of a play on words here, I'm sure you know that, with Peter is Petros in Greek, and rock is Petra. So it's, you are Petros, and on this Petra, I'm going to build my church. But make no mistake, he's not saying that on Peter, he's going to build his church. That's not what he's saying. Peter is just a guy. In fact, next week, Lord willing, we'll come to a text where it transitions from, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, to get behind me, Satan. So if Peter really was this this perfect cornerstone, by the way, who is the cornerstone of the church? It is Jesus Christ, and we learn that through the rest of the New Testament. So Peter is not the, the stone upon which, the foundation upon which the church is going to be built, but it's the truth of Peter's blessed and revealed answer to this most important question ever asked. As we've seen, and hopefully we've seen at this point, the whole point of this passage is who is this Jesus Christ? What is his identity? The people answered wrong, Peter answered right. We're celebrating it. Your answer, this identity of Jesus Christ, it is the foundation upon which I am going to build my church. Romans 9 verse 33 makes this very, very clear. It says, just as it is written, behold, I lay in Zion, Jerusalem, a stone of stumbling and a rock, a Petra of offense. Then all of a sudden, we realize that this rock of offense is a person. And he who believes in him, the rock, will not be disappointed. So again, who is this rock upon which Jesus is going to build his church? It's the testimony of Jesus' messiahship and deity. And a church built atop such an eternal and shakable foundation can never topple. It can't topple. Even when the greatest enemy of all, death itself, Hades, he says. Hades attacks. Nothing is knocking this thing over. Nothing is knocking this church over. And more specifically, in the context, Jesus is going to build his church even when his own death is coming up. Even my own death is, going to not, is not going to knock over this church that I'm building. We oftentimes sing, The church is one foundation it is Jesus Christ, her Lord. She is his new creation by water and the word. From heaven he came and sought her to be his holy bride. With his own blood he bought her. And for her life he died. If Jesus is not Christ, Messiah, the Anointed One, this doesn't stand. If He is not God, this does not stand. It is that truth that was revealed to Peter that he uttered in a blessed way upon which this is built. Now, this is, I should say, before we move on from this this verse, that this is the first mention of the church in Scripture. There's no church before this point. In fact, even at this point, it's still yet future. Jesus says, I will, future tense, I will build my church. But notice it's a certainty. I, I will build my church. It is going to be built. And we also notice that this is not something that we build, that we labor for, or that we own. It's Christ's church that he builds. This church, Oak Ridge Bible Chapel, is an expression of this universal church. And it's not my church. It's not the elders' church. It's not your church, no matter how long you've been here. This is Christ's church and he will build this church we are rocks we are our our bricks in this building that he puts in place we're drywall we are we are two by fours we're nothing that the perfect contractor puts in place to erect what is perfect for him in his all-knowing way that's all we are need to know our place but this is a foundational truth that peter throws out here this is foundational I mean, we're celebrating this. Thank you, Peter, for saying that. That is exactly the truth upon which I'm going to build my church. And finally, as we come to verse 19, we see that Peter's was a rewarded answer. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth shall have been bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth shall have been loosed in heaven. Notice the shift from church to kingdom. We don't want to confuse or conflate those two things. They're not the same thing. But Jesus was talking about the church he's going to build, and now he's announcing Peter's role in the coming kingdom. This is a rewarded truth, a rewarded answer that he just gave. You now We know from other passages of Scripture that, that the disciples, when Jesus came, they are longing for this kingdom to come. Right. The Messiah's going to come, he's going to set up this Davidic kingdom, he's going to reign from Jerusalem, he's going to make everything right. Praise the Lord. And then when he arrives and says the kingdom is at hand, they're excited. We want this kingdom. And there's times then their lack of understanding comes, becomes more obvious and they start asking questions about what's our role going to be in the kingdom? Like when you establish this, what are we going to do? And at one point he says, you're going to sit on 12 thrones and judge the 12 tribes of Israel in the kingdom. They say, okay, that's pretty good. I'll take a throne. Right? But then, two of them, they send their mom. Remember the sons of Zebedee? They send their mom. And and Mrs. Zebedee comes up and she says, Jesus, i got a favor to ask you. When you come into your kingdom, can my two boys sit at your right and left hand? And then later in Mark, the boys, maybe in the wake of their mom and her bravery, they come up and they ask the same thing. So we know that in the disciples, on their mind is their role in the coming kingdom. What are we going to do when this kingdom comes? And so really, it makes sense in this text that after Jesus just introduced this novel issue of a church coming, he's going to build this church, that he would return back to the issue of the kingdom, just to say, hey, I'm not abandoning the original plan. There is still a kingdom coming, and there are still rewards in that kingdom. In fact, Peter is going to be rewarded in that kingdom for his blessed, revealed, and foundational answer to the most important question ever asked. And what's the reward? Well, it's keys. And keys represent authority. He's going to be given authority in this coming kingdom. Authority to to bind and to loose, or we might say to forbid and to permit. And it says that he's going to do it in line with heaven. So it, it seems to be, and I don't know all the answers here, but when that kingdom comes, Peter is going to have some sort of a judicial role with authority where in accordance with what he knows is happening in the heavenly courts, he gets to say right, wrong, permit, reject in that kingdom. See, it's a rewarded statement he just gave. So this is a celebration of the answer that he uttered. By revelation of God. Jesus in verses 17 through 19 he's celebrating and commending Peter for his answer to the question, who do you say that I am? And his answer is blessed, revealed, foundational, and rewarded. So we've seen two questions. What do the people say? What does Peter say? And obviously this now comes to us. What do you say? What do I say? What do we say? How do we answer this most important question ever asked? The people, they were wholesale incorrect. Peter was right on the money. But what do I say, and what do you say? You need to understand that how we answer this most important question is eternity shaping. Who is Jesus Christ? Do we respond like the people, or do we respond like Peter? And contrary to popular, popular opinion, there are only two possible responses to this question. There's the right response, that he is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and there is the wrong response, everything else. Everything else. C.S. Lewis, you may not recognize that name, but he once wrote this about this exact claim. He says, a man, speaking of Jesus, who is merely a man, and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would be either a lunatic on the level with a man who says he's a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice, Lewis continues. Either this man was and is the son of God or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon. Or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. He's either a liar, a lunatic, or he is Lord. And how you answer that question shapes eternity and shapes reality now. And so what do we say? How do you answer the most important question ever asked? Who is Jesus Christ? Now to those who have never believed this, you're listening online or you're here today, and you've never actually trusted in Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, you are met with a choice today, in this moment. Feel the weight of it. This moment Can change eternity for you right now and how you answer this question is Jesus what Peter confessed or what the people guessed that is it you're at a crossroads at this moment you need to understand that you're a sinner and we would say welcome to the club all people have fallen short of God's standard of perfection He's holy, as we sang today. He is other. He is outside and pristine. And I'm not. And neither are you. Despite what you're telling yourself and what the world wants to tell you, you are not perfect. And that creates a massive problem for those who want to spend eternity in the presence of a holy God, because as a holy God, he's also just and righteous, righteous, and he cannot stand imperfection in his presence. Huge problem for humanity. A problem that only God himself could solve. And that's why he sent his Son into this world to live that perfect life, the life we're called to live but failed to do, and he died a sinner's death, so that the wrath of God, the penalty for all the world's sins, were put upon Jesus, and he was buried. Then he rose again, defeating death. And the Bible is very clear that just believing in the person and work of Jesus, we have eternal life. say, that is too easy. say, yes. Although I would probably alter that and say, it's not easy, but it is simple. It's not easy to admit we're a sinner and come in repentance and faith. But it is very simple. You don't have to walk an aisle. You don't have to give to the church. You don't have to repent of every sin you've ever done. You don't have to do any of those. You don't have to take communion. You don't have to be baptized. You don't have to do any of these things. All you need to do in the quietness of your own heart, is say, Lord, I know I'm a sinner. I'm trusting in Jesus Christ for my salvation, forgiveness of my sins. That's it. That's it. It's done. You've crossed in that moment from death to life, from the people to Peter. And it's a blessed answer. It's a revealed answer. It's a rewarded answer. It's a foundational answer. So I encourage you, if that's you today, listening or here today, that you've never trusted in Jesus, consider that. As I speak to the rest of the people for a moment, we'll come back to you in a moment and pray at the end specifically for you. But I encourage you, if you feel the Holy Spirit tugging on your heart right now, don't ignore it. It's an eternity-shaping, all-important question to consider. Now the rest of us, what do we do with this? Many of us in here, most of us in here, have already answered with Peter, haven't we? We've already said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. I believe it. And we have crossed from death to life. But there's still some things that understanding the power of that answer and the centrality of that answer brings to us. And I just want to remind us of th- some things today, because we know that once we are saved, or once we are baptized, life does not go perfectly, does it? There, there's still headaches, there's still sin, there's still battles to be fought, and sometimes we take some lumps and it, it can be discouraging. And so, to those of us who have believed this truth, who have answered with Peter, but, but sometimes feel unloved or unlovely, or you think, okay, I've trusted in Christ, but there's some days where I just think, how could he actually love someone like me? You know. It, If you knew what I knew about myself and what God knows about me, how could he possibly count me worthy to have a relationship with himself? And if that's you today, I want to remind you that your answer, that answer you once gave to the question that Peter answered here, it's a blessed answer. It is a blessed answer. In fact, in John chapter 20, verses 28 and 29, remember Thomas, one of the disciples of Jesus. Jesus raises from the dead and Thomas is like, I don't know about this whole resurrection thing, he's not sure. One of the disciples. And then Jesus appears to him and says, Come, touch, see, see that it is me. And Thomas answered and said to him, My Lord and my God. That sounds familiar from today as well. My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Because you have seen me, have you believed? Now here it is. Blessed are they who did not see and yet believed. Unless I miss something, that's most of us. Unless one of you has met the resurrected Christ on your way to church today, that's us. You know, we are blessed because we have not seen him and yet we believe. So understand that that is you. If you feel unlovely, if you feel unworthy, yes, I believe, but some days I just don't know, understand that the fact that you are blessed by the Lord trumps any feeling you have about your salvation. You are blessed. Now there's some of us who have believed, who have answered with Peter, but we're proud. There's some of us, if we're really honest, maybe you look down on those who have not yet believed. You see those people who haven't believed, and you say, how could you be stuck in something like that? You know, there's, there's an arrogance that comes out in theological conversation or a, a condescension that lingers in your thoughts about people trapped in other ideologies and, and faith systems. That's silent. Scientology. What a nonsense. Oh, these, get with a program, you guys. How can you believe this, that, and the other thing? You know, and we just, there's something in my heart. I may not verbalize it, but there's a pride that comes with it. And for those of us who struggle with that pride, we need to understand that, that our answer, the answer we gave, it's a revealed answer, isn't it? In John 6, Jesus says, no one can come to, the, to me unless the Father draws him. So we need to understand and remind ourselves that we are recipients of a beautiful truth. We have not clawed our way and cracked the Rubik's Cube of salvation ourselves. No, no, no. The Lord has come along and wooed us to himself. Sometimes in spite of ourselves, No. We are hard-hearted against Him and He brings us to Himself. And so before we get haughty and proud and condescending to people who do not believe like we do, we need to remember this answer that we gave for some of us a week ago, for some of us this morning, for some of us 10 years ago, 40 years ago, that answer we gave its not only a blessed answer, but it is a revealed answer. That should kill any sort of pride in us. It's a gracious provision from the Lord. Now to those of us who have believed but feel insecure, You've answered like Peter, but as time passes and life happens, you feel like the ground is shifting under your feet and you ask questions. Am I really saved? Did it stick? You know, did it stick? I'm a pretty good sinner. Maybe I ran away from the Lord. Did it, did it stick? Am I, am I part of something significant or meaningful? I contribute so little. Is there any purpose to what I'm doing? Am I contributing anything to what the Lord wants me to do? And there's that insecurity that seeps in because the world tells us that we're never enough. We, we can't do anything significant. We sin too much. We're not talented enough. We're not good looking enough. Or blah, blah, blah. All on it goes. There's this insignificance that wafts in. We want to be reminded today that the answer we gave is a foundational answer. It's a foundational answer. Remember Peter. He gives this answer. And the Lord says, I'm going to build on that truth that you just uttered. I'm going to build something you can't even comprehend. That when we believe in Jesus Christ, we pass from death to life, and we become part of something that the Lord is building that is so much bigger than we even know. There is a purpose. He says that there is one body, but several different members of that body. And if you are in Christ, you are a member of that body, and we need you. You have incredible significance to the Lord. Ephesians chapter 1. At the end of this wonderful paragraph, Paul writes this, in him, speaking about in Christ, those who have believed in Christ, you also, and this is about us as believers, you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is given as a pledge of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession to the praise of his glory. That's us. That's what we're involved in. We are sealed with God himself. We are part of something bigger than we can even imagine. And finally, to those who have believed but are weary. Anyone tired? Anyone weary? Anyone discouraged? i believe I've answered like Peter, but oh, I don't know, I'm just, I'm tired. Well, we want to be reminded today that that answer we gave is a rewarded answer. It's a rewarded answer. It doesn't come without rewards attached to it. We don't all have Peter's reward, we didn't also have Peter's life. But there are rewards available. 1 Corinthians chapter 9 is very clear that Paul says, I run so as to win the prize. I beat my body, make my sleep, not for a perishable reef, but something imperishable. There are rewards ahead of us. This is a significant task that we're part of, part of something significant the Lord himself is building, and there are rewards ahead of us. And so we need to lift our heads, straighten our tired backs, and, and brothers and sisters, understand that there are rewards ahead in glory that do not perish or fade. This is the most important question ever asked. There are a lot of important questions in life, nothing like this one. Who is Jesus Christ? Every human being responds to this question with one of two possible answers, that of Peter's or that of the people's. We either answer, Jesus, you are the Christ and the Son of the living God, or we are wrong. But for those by God's grace who answer correctly, it is a blessed, revealed, foundational, and rewarded confession that we have. It's all about who Jesus is. Is he who he claimed to be? The son of the living God, the Messiah, the savior of souls, or not? That's the question we're put to today. Let's pray. Thank you so much for joining us today. For more sermons, blogs, and other resources, you can check out our website, oakridgebiblechapel.org. To listen to our weekly podcast, Word Processing, you can go to Spotify or Apple Podcasts or any other podcasting platform. Remember, you can always join us in person or on our live stream at 10.30 a.m. on Sundays. Thanks for watching.